Amen. Thank you to Nate and Callan. Uh, you know the saying, the cat's got your tongue, uh, and uh, you, you just can't quite say what you want to say? Let me tell you about the most awkward conversation I ever had. And uh, this conversation had so much silence in it, it makes me uncomfortable to think about it even today. It happened when I was 17 years old. And so you might uh, be able to get a sense of where this story is going already. Uh, I had to ask a girl to prom. And uh, my wife, who's sitting in the front row, can easily testify I'm not the most romantic guy in the world. Am I right? <laughs> so, so, so here I am in all of my teenage angst, and uh, I call up the, the girl I decided to ask to go to prom with me. Now, she's six inches taller than me, and we have very little in common. Why I decided she was the one, I don't know. Uh, but I called her up, and I mustered up the courage to say, would you please go to prom with me? And at the other end of the line was silence. <laughs> for five seconds, for ten seconds. I don't know how long it was. It felt like an, an eternity until finally she said, yes, uh, I'll go with you. And then the cat got my tongue too. I didn't know what to say, so we sat there in more silence until eventually I said, okay, well, I'll see you then. <laughs> and I hung up. And, uh, and that was the most awkward conversation I've ever had. It was really bad. As we approach Christmas, we keep, we're asking ourselves, does hope, joy, and peace have to be uh, is, is it supposed to be this hard? And uh, that was a hard conversation, but we get stuck in our anxiety all the time. Our peace, we might say, is flimsy. In the Christmas story, we come across a man by the name of Zechariah, who is a man who gets his tongue tied. As we'll see this morning, uh, Zechariah was made mute by the Lord for many months. And uh, why he was this way? Ultimately, it was because, and we'll look at a couple different reasons, but the biggest reason was because his peace was flimsy. He had to learn how to have peace through difficulty. Now, peace I'm going to impress upon us this morning is a learned characteristic. The sermon is important for us because we live in an age of anxiety. Like 2020 had a lot of stress, right? 2021 might have been more stressful still. We've got so many difficulties and stressors in our life, it threatens our, the peace in our lives because our peace is flimsy. It comes and it goes. And so my question for you this morning is, do you have peace in your life? And if you do, where does your peace come from? And if you have peace, what would threaten your peace? If there were certain uh, difficulties that came in, would your peace vanish like the wind, uh, or would you be and be and you would be filled with anxiety? 
our peace can be very flimsy. And so we need to learn peace, like Zechariah did, so that we can have a firm foundation for peace in our lives. We read about Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 22. This is Luke 1, 11 through 22. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight uh, to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of, of the many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but, but remained unable to speak. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, as we look at your word now, as these uh, verses are before us, we ask and pray that, that you would come and be our teacher. God, I pray that you would uh, impress upon us the things that you would have for us. We're told in this passage that the words you speak uh, will come to pass. They are true. And we, come, and we ask that you come now and speak words of truth to us, that we might be able to rely on you and find truth in your scriptures, find truth from your Holy Spirit, and we might go forth with a firm foundation for peace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little background information on Zechariah as we dig into the passage this morning. First of all, Zechariah would have been the uncle of Jesus. He, the son that would be born to him that uh, is talked about here in this, in this uh, passage was named John, who we know as John the Baptist. And uh, John was Jesus' cousin. This was because Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, were relatives. A second thing we might say in terms of background information is that, and we're given this information here in this passage, is that Zechariah was a priest in Israel. And, uh, and what we have described here in this passage is a great day of honor for him as a priest. 
Priests uh, could be chosen once in their lifetime to go into the temple and burn incense uh, in, at the altar of the Lord. And this is what we have happening in this passage. This is like the culmination of a great career for Zechariah. He's been chosen to go into the temple and to light this incense. Uh, he has lived a good life. He has a good reputation in the community. As he has this noble position of authority. He, uh, he's gotten a good education. He's done a good job as a priest. In fact, earlier in the chapter, Zechariah is described this way in verse 6. Zechariah is righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. To say uh, Zechariah is blameless is surely hyperbole. Like even in this passage, we see something that he deserves blame for. He, he doubts the word of God. But generally speaking, we could say Zechariah is among the good guys. He's lived a good life. He's, he's holy and righteous in his life and in his relationships. And I think I know a lot of Zechariah-type people. People with good reputations and they've done good things. Uh, they're among the, the good guys and gals. And, and uh, I know a lot of Zechariah people. I know even more people that think of them like Zechariah, think of themselves like Zechariah. They think they're among the good guys. They think they've lived a good uh, life. And they probably have. But what I've noticed even among uh, good people is that we get filled with anxiety so quickly. We face difficulties in life and we get tense and we get stressed and we become irritable. As soon as trials hit, the peace is gone. And on my way into church this morning, the fog was so thick, right? But you look outside now and it's burned up. And, in, and, uh, and, and, life, can go, uh, and life can be going so well, but as soon as uh, the trials come, the peace in our lives gets burned up so quick and we're left in a place of anxiety. Now, Zechariah had a lot going for him, like we said, uh, but as soon as the angel appeared to him, the first thing that it says about Zechariah is that he is filled with fear. The peace is gone. It's evaporated very quickly. The people waiting for Zechariah outside the temple begin to wonder, what's going on? Why is he taking so long? Zechariah should have been in and out. But what happens to him while he's in the temple is an angel meets with him, and he has this vision, and he's caught up in a conversation with the angel. And because uh, what happens in this conversation, because he doubts the Lord, is uh, the angel says, you're going to be mute, and you're not going to talk until the baby is born. And so he comes out of the temple after a long time, and the people begin to wonder, uh, what is, what's going on? What took you so long? And now I can imagine Zechariah playing like a game of charades. In fact, it says he's making signs to the people. He's like, let me uh, put this down here. This, this is what's in my mind. He's like, 
I've seen an angel, <laughs> and he was talking to me, and uh, I'm going to have a baby. Like, this is, how, this is what Zechariah looked like. He, he's trying to communicate uh, what the Lord has told to him, and the people have a hard time believing it. In fact, Zechariah, when he's in the temple, has a hard time believing it. His response was bewilderment. How could something like this happen to me? I'm an old man. Now notice uh, what he says about his wife. And uh, I love the words that Zechariah uses here. Okay, let me, let me read this word for word, uh, verse 18 again. Uh, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Isn't that good? <laughs> Zechariah is a gentleman. He doesn't say, I'm an old man and my wife is an old lady. No, my, uh, my wife is well along in years. If, if Zechariah was here, I'd tell him to take up and, uh, stand up and take a bow because that's good. Uh, you don't call your wife an old lady. Uh, but that's what he's basically saying. We don't know how old uh, Elizabeth was. There was a document that was found that they, they date back to the first century that actually records uh, this event, uh, and uh, it says that Elizabeth was 88 years old. I don't know how reliable that document is, but anyway, we can know for sure she's well past childbearing years. So Zacharias says, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And now the next verse, verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. Now what I see here between verse 18, what Zechariah says, and verse 19, what, uh, what the angel Gabriel says is a parallel. Zechariah says, I am an old man. Gabriel responds by saying, I am Gabriel, an angel who stands in the presence of God. Uh, Zechariah says, how can this be? My wife is well past childbearing years. Uh, Gabriel says, God has said it will be, therefore it will be. You see, these two things are said in contrast. Uh, uh, Zechariah says, I'm an old man, it can't happen. Uh, the angel says, I don't care who you are. I stand in the presence of God. My identity trumps your identity. God has said it would be, therefore it will be. And to me, this is so uh, wonderful because it begins to lay the foundation for peace. What the angel is emphasizing is that if God has said it, it will happen. And how many times do we, even before God, begin to find reasons not to believe him? If God has spoken it, I don't care what excuses we can come up with, it will happen. It will come to pass. And so we must, if we're going to have peace in our lives, we must learn to take God at his word. When we read the Bible, these things are true for us. 
When we come before the Lord in prayer and we ask God and, he, and we hear from Him, whatever He says, no matter how hard it is to believe, that's the truth in our life. We can make up excuses all we want. My wife is 188 as far as uh, the angel is concerned. Who cares? God said it would happen. It'll happen. And so may we learn to take God at His word and to trust in Him. Now if we don't, there are consequences. One consequence is that we will not have peace. Because there are things that come into our lives that if God is not in control, and what God has said, is, uh, if we're not uh, sure of that being done, peace vanishes. Another consequence is, if we do not learn to trust in God and take Him at His word, is that you will not be used by God. If you don't respond to God in obedience, God will, in a sense, shut you up. That's what happens here to Zechariah. You will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. My mom used to say, and your mom probably did too, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? And in a sense, what God says to Zechariah here is if you can't speak the truth, you're not going to say anything at all. And he shuts them up until Zechariah can learn to depend upon the Lord. Now here's my question. Why is God so hard on Zechariah? You ever thought about that? Later in the past, he's, he's going to talk to Mary. And, Mary, and he's going to give Mary almost as a, 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 a promise just as hard to believe. Uh, what's more difficult, a, a woman uh, to have a baby who is a virgin or a woman who is in her late 80s to have a baby? Both seem pretty hard to me, right? <laughs> and, uh, and yet Mary doesn't have the same, uh, res- the, the same uh, response from the Lord. Mary seems like she's treated with a little bit more grace. And if you go back to the Old Testament, Abraham receives almost the exact same promise. His wife Sarah is to have a, a baby in her old age. And, uh, and God doesn't come down so hard on Zechariah. The reason I think the Lord comes down so hard on Zechariah is not because he's fed up with Zechariah or he's being mean to Zechariah. It's because he loves Zechariah and he wants to teach him a valuable lesson. You see, he wants uh, Zechariah to learn to have peace. As I said, peace is a learned characteristic. Now to look at the life of Zechariah, there are three steps that we can outline that he goes through to have peace. Step one is difficulty. He faces this difficulty. Step two is doubt. He says, how can this be? And step three, he call, we can call divine dependence. He's going to learn to depend upon the Lord, divine dependence. Now, what's interesting about these three steps, difficulty, doubt, and divine dependence, is these are the steps for us to learn to have peace, to have a firm foundation so our, our peace is not flimsy, but we can learn to have peace in our lives. But step two can be eliminated. If we learn uh, to trust in the Lord, we can go directly from difficulty in our life to divine dependence. 
I want to illustrate this with an umbrella here. And uh, this umbrella represents the fact that we all in our lives uh, face storms. You know, when we have uh, difficulty come into our lives, it's, it's like a, a storm in our lives. And, and this umbrella is to protect me from the rain that, is, that comes, the, the difficulties. Now, I'm going to put step two and step three on the, edges of, on the edges of this umbrella. So on one side is going to be the step of doubt, and on the other side is going to be the step of uh, divine dependence. Now, when these uh, difficulties can come into our life like raindrops, they can come and hit us, and begin to trickle down this side of our lives, right? And they come and, and we face these difficulties with doubt. What, uh, is God still on my side? Does, does he still love me? Is he still in control? It's, it's these truths of life that we, that we read about in the Bible that we begin to doubt. And what happens is when these difficulties come into our lives and they trickle down this umbrella, what begins to uh, trickle down this side of the umbrella is what begins to puddle at our feet is stress and anxiety and, uh, and anger and frustration and irritableness and all of these things, right? These are, this is what comes into our lives when the, when the difficulty come down the side of doubt. But what if the difficulty comes down uh, the, and it hits this side and it moves to divine dependence, where we are trusting in the Lord? What's going to puddle down here below us is confidence in the Lord, is uh, reliance upon Him, is a sense of serenity, ultimately a sense of peace. That, that's what's going to puddle in our, uh, at our feet. Actually, what I should say is that's what's going to fill our hearts. Now, in our lives, as we face difficulties, which we all will, that's inevitable, right? Difficulties will come. The one thing we can learn to do is tilt the umbrella one way or another. You see, we can learn when difficulties come, we can learn to tilt the umbrella so that more of these things begin to puddle on the side of divine dependence. And when we do, we will have learned to be calm in a crisis, strong when stressed, and have peace under pressure. When we can learn to do this is when we can learn to have what the Bible says, a peace that transcends all understanding. A survivor of a German concentration camp said that the only thing he learned was that though he could not control what happened to him, he could control how he responded to it. And that's where we are as Christians as well. We can't control what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond to it. And my suggestion is, and this is what God is teaching us to live by faith, is to tilt the umbrella to the side of divine dependence. 
You see, we keep asking ourselves this same question. Is peace, hope, and joy supposed to be this hard? Well, life is hard, right? Life is hard, uh, but peace can come naturally and quickly and, and even easily. Now, it's a learned peace, and the lesson is not learned easily, but we can learn to easily rely on the Lord when we choose to tilt the umbrella this direction. And we, and we choose divine dependence. I'd like you to think for a moment, what has, when we think of difficulties, what has been the most difficult experience in your life? Actually, think of a time in your life, and for many of us, that probably comes to mind pretty quickly. What has been uh, the most difficult time in your life? I asked that question to the life group that I'm a part of on Friday night, and, and many people shared some really difficult things. But as we shared these stories, there was one common theme, that we all learned divine dependence a little bit more. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I think for those that don't have the peace that transcends all understanding, it is a peace that we cannot understand. How in the world could you have joy when you face trials? Well, it is because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, the reason God takes us through difficulties and, and trials and and storms in life is so that we can learn something. We can learn to be mature and complete in God. We're, we're looking at hope and peace and joy and love. And all of those things are oftentimes learned through difficulty. And it's through difficulty that we learn divine dependence to tilt the umbrella toward, not towards doubt, but to, towards trusting in the Lord. And then James, the brother of Jesus, goes on to say, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man unstable in all he does. When we think of a double mind, we oftentimes talk about having a peace of mind, right? A double mind is when we try to hold on to uh, both these things simultaneously. When, we try to, when we're trying to have divine dependence, but yet our lives are filled with doubt, that's a double-minded man. But the person who has learned to trust in the Lord has a single mind, They've learned to tilt the umbrella this way, and all of these things fall into dependence upon the Lord. In our life group, Inez said something that I've never heard anyone say before, and uh, Inez is like our resident theologian. She's 82 years old and has walked with the Lord for a long time, and this is what Inez said. Inez, Inez said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're worried, uh, and if you're going to worry, don't pray. But the two things don't go hand in hand. And I think that's what James is saying here. 
If you ask God, trust in him. There's no double-minded, no being double-minded about it. If you're going to be like that, then you're a wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You should not think you'll receive anything from the Lord. But if we learn to tilt the umbrella towards divine dependence, then we actually begin to learn to have a foundation for peace so that peace is not so flimsy. It doesn't evaporate like a fog in the morning. But, it be, but we begin to be able to trust in God even through the difficulties. Zechariah eventually learned to have peace. Now, he went through all three steps, difficulty, doubt, divine dependence. And as we said, we can, we can learn to go directly from difficulty to, to divine dependence. But we know that Zechariah eventually got there because of his reaction when the baby was born. When John was born, remember, he could not speak, and so he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's amazement, he wrote, his name is John. I once had um, a person that I knew in my, uh, in my life uh, whose wife was in a serious car accident. And uh, when that happened, there was a sense of amazement about how he handled that situation as well. Because I'm sure that when his wife went through this uh, really tragic accident and, and uh, she was seriously injured, uh, he could have easily let the rain slide down the side of doubt. And no one would have been surprised if he was filled with despair and anger and anxiety. And yet, to everyone's amazement, he lived in divine dependence. And in the midst of that storm, he had peace. Why? Because he had learned to trust in God. Even in the most difficult things. Bobby Conwell writes... Doubt will make us restless. Faith will make us restful. Doubt will fill us, will cause us to be in two minds, double-minded. Faith will cause us, will place us in one mind. Doubt will sap our strength. Faith will saturate us with strength. Doubt will lead us to fury, fear, Worry, anger, depression, and more, whereas faith will lead to trust, serenity, peace, and hope. And so you're going to have storms in life, amen? That's inevitable. But when the storms come, will, it, will those difficulties flow towards doubt? Or will they flow towards divine dependence? If it flows towards doubt, what's going to puddle in, in our lives is anxiety, stress, worry, and definitely not peace. But if we choose divine dependence, then what puddles under our feet, or really what fills our hearts, is peace, God's peace. Because it is in divine dependence that we trust in a God who loves us. And trust in a God who has strength to protect us. Trust in a God who knows what is best for us, even when we don't know it or understand it. We trust in a God uh, that, that all of what God says about himself in his word is true. And we take him at his word. And we, and we choose to believe in him. And so that's the challenge for you today. 
And maybe it is even in, face of, in the face of the difficulties that you're experiencing right now. Would you skip the step of doubt and would you choose divine dependence? You know, as we talk about the character of God, uh, we had another just really wonderful story that uh, I thought would uh, be encouraging for us to hear this morning. You know, I really believe God is at work because he wants us to recognize who he is. And, uh, and he's, 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 he's stirring our faith to say, would you believe in me or not? And uh, so I want to ask Anne to come and just to share what happened to, to her recently. And I think this is an encouragement for us as we uh, trust in the Lord. God has been working in our church and showing his power in many ways. I would like to share a recent experience I've had and give praise to the Lord. In late October, I had a regular doctor appointment. During the exam, my doctor listened to my heart, lungs, and carotid arteries in my neck. After the exam, he said he wanted me to have an ultrasound on both carotid arteries to make sure I didn't have any problems. He scheduled me for the procedure on November 1st. On November 2nd, I received a call from my doctor stating the carotid artery on my left um, had a 75 to 80% blockage. Um, I then had to have a CAT scan with dye to see the blockage and how they were going to clean it out. That procedure was scheduled for November 18th. <clears throat> On Sunday, November 7th, I was a greeter at church. I saw Shizuka and Paul enter the door where I was standing. I gave Shizuka a hug and told her about my blockage and asked her to pray for me. She prayed for me right there. And as she did, she touched my neck where I had the blockage. There was something different about her touch. Her hand was cool and very soft. As she prayed, she moved her hand down my neck and I felt a warmth and when she reached the end of my neck I felt a slight burning I felt that God had healed me I even mentioned it to Linda Tanaka that there was something different about Jesus touch that I've never experienced with any other person or any other time in my life I felt God was completely in control of what was going on on November 18th, I had my CAT scan and was told the doctor would receive the results by Monday the 22nd. I was expecting his call on that day, but he didn't call until Tuesday, November 23rd. When he called, I was expecting a different response from him, but he just said I didn't have any blockage. The blockage had been on the ultrasound on November 1st, but 17 days later, it was not there. I thought back to Sunday, November 7th, and realized that I had been right to believe that God had healed me. There is so much power in prayer. We had been having sermons for the last eight weeks about the God of miracles. We had a real miracle happen in our church with Shizuka. Praise God. We learned God is the same God of today, yesterday, and forever. That th thought alone proved that God can still perform miracles today. God can heal by many ways, through touch, faith, 
anointing through another prayer and believing that God will do what he says. Our God deserves honor, praise, and glory. He is the great I am. God is love, mercy, and grace. Shizuka and I both received God's healing touch. Shizuka's journey was long, but God was faithful, and he had a purpose. I believe because of her faithfulness and relationship with the Lord that many people saw the hand of God moving in her life. She has a real heart for others. I believe that is why God used her as an instrument in my healing. Praise God. Sometimes we can't comprehend God's purpose of why, how, or who, but we know we can trust him in all things. He can use any situation to demonstrate his love, his power, and to reveal himself to the saved and unsaved to accomplish his will for our lives. Thank you, Anne. Uh, but, but really, I should say thank you, Jesus. Okay, and had this block, 80, 75 to 80 percent blockage, and uh, Shizuka laid her hand on it, and as soon as she put her hand over the part, the spot of the neck, it's this burning sensation, and the and the Lord took it away. I sometimes have uh, wondered how would have I responded if I was like Zachariah and I and an angel appeared to me. You know, I'll be honest, obviously, we, we talk about how Zechariah was filled with fear. I'm sure every one of us would have been filled with fear. Uh, but we are in the presence of someone far greater than an angel. Like, we are in the presence of God. And I've learned that when we can keep our eyes fixed on God, then that's, that's a safe place. That, that's a place where we can uh, find peace and to trust in Him. Uh, you know, we all have difficulties in our lives. And uh, what can happen is our eyes can get so fixed on the difficulty that we're experiencing, the conflict that we have, the relationship that's causing problems. But if we could just see that we're in the presence of God and learn to take our eyes off of those things, then what is being transformed around us is a safe place in which we can just rest in his peace. And I know that's easier said than done, but I do know it's possible. It is possible to learn to live in the presence of God. And it starts with having a relationship with him. When Jesus came to this earth, it was, it was, it was, we've already, uh, already heard read in the Advent reading that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus came to be our Prince of Peace. And if you want to have peace in your life, the first uh, step is to invite Jesus into your life to be your Savior and Lord. And I know many of you have done that, but maybe there is someone here today that has said, I've never made that decision. And I just want to let you know that God is not only powerful, but he loves you and he wants to be in your life. 
And I would encourage you, before you leave church today, make sure you ask God to come into your life and to be your Savior and Lord. In fact, we gather before the uh, communion table uh, because we want to remember the fact that God has come as a, uh, in the person of Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. Like he died on the cross, and that's what this uh, cracker and this juice represents. It represents his body and his blood. That was, that was his blood that was shed for us so that we can have a relationship with him. And so I'm going to encourage us just to uh, gather the elements. If, is there anyone here that doesn't have communion elements? Our ushers are ready. So keep your hand up. And uh, the ushers are going to help you out right now. So if you keep your hand up, then they'll make their way to you. As we hold these elements in our hands, we're coming before the presence of God, and we're going to just rest in His presence. Peace has a flimsy foundation for most people in this world, but we've been given the Prince of Peace, and ultimately our lives are built on Him so that we can have peace even in the most difficult situations. Let's go before the Lord in, in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we ask that you would draw near to us. You are our wonderful counselor who will guide and direct us in the paths that we are to go. You are our uh, everlasting father. You are our prince of peace. And God, we pray that even as we sit here in the silence of this sanctuary, that you would fill our hearts with peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the cracker in our hands, let me read from God's Word. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. God's word goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to invite the prayer counselors to come forward now and the worship team to prepare to lead us in our final song. You know, we gather together in the presence of the Lord and God promises where two or three gather together, He is there in our midst. When you come and receive a prayer, it is a blessing. Uh, I will be amazed on Christmas Day if we've got presents under the trees and the kids say, ah, we'll get to it next week, right? <laughs> Nobody that's got a gift that good is going to let it pass. And the, fa- and the fact that we uh, serve such a great God and we have those that want to gather with us and pray for God's blessings in our lives, even miracles, that that is the God we worship. We ought to uh, just be, we ought to be flooding forward to receive uh, the blessings and the gifts that he has for us. Let's stand as we sing this final song. And, as, uh, and, and before we sing it, let me lead us in prayer one more time. Father God, we come now into your presence and we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you did in Anne's life, that you took that clot out of her neck, a blockage there, And we pray that you would remove the blockage, the the various blockages in our lives that are keeping us from experiencing all of your goodness. May you open up the floodgates now that we might be able to receive you more and more into our lives. God, you are our Prince of Peace. We come before you and we lay everything just at your feet. Uh, We're trying to tilt the umbrella towards the side of divine dependence. God, just as Zechariah, he had to learn not to depend on his own reputation or his own, uh, or his own experiences. He had to learn to, uh, to uh, trust in you. God, right now, even in this uh, sanctuary, we're, we're seeking to tilt the umbrella. We're seeking to throw ourselves at your feet and to trust in you. And God, I pray that what begins to puddle all around us right now and what begins to fill our hearts is a sense of peace because we know that you are who you say you are and we can trust in you. And what you say is true for us, that is what will come to pass. Not because of the difficulties all around us, that's what we get our eyes fixed on, but because you said it. And if you said it, you will do it. And if if, uh, you have said that it will be done, it will happen. And so God, we trust in you. God, meet us now in this final moment as we sing and as we pray, and may we uh, throw ourselves to you in divine dependence. In Jesus' name, amen.